All right. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Grace Community Church Wednesday night service. It's good to see y'all. I'm glad you're here. Uh, and thank you for watching if you're tuning in online. If this is your first time watching, my name is Wade, and we are glad to have you. Uh, let me go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer, and we'll get right into tonight's message. Uh, Father, thank you for the message you gave me this week. I know I need it in my life, Lord. I just pray for everybody that's here and everybody that's watching, that you would help us, Lord, to to focus on what you're saying. Help us not to be just carried away with the, the busyness of today and the worries of tomorrow. Help us, Lord, to be present right here and now and uh, just be totally in the moment, God, and hear what it is you have to say to us. And I just pray that hearts and minds will be open to receive what it is you have to say to us. God, I just pray for all those that are at home that are sick and can't be here tonight. Lord, we thank you for the ability to, to be able to watch church when we're, we're not able to be present. We thank you for that. And I just pray for each and every one of them, Lord, that you would comfort them and bring them healing and help them, Lord, to, to get better quickly. Lord, I just pray that you would just take control of this message and let nothing that's said be of me. Let it all be from you, Lord, and bring glory to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh. <clears throat> All right. So we'll get right into tonight's message. Tonight's message is kind of uh, not an easy message to preach, but that's what God gave me this week, so that's what, what I'm going to be preaching on. And uh, you'll see why here in a little bit. But here lately, we've been, you know, we've been hearing a lot of talk about the return of Jesus, about the return of Christ. You know, all the things happening in and around Israel with the war going on and stuff. And not only just that, but the, the condition of the world as a whole and society as a whole. You know, we've been hearing a lot about prophecy and how there's nothing else that needs to happen for the for the return of Christ to take place, and there there ain't nothing else that has to happen. You know, Jesus could come back any time. And we've been talking about all the different beliefs that people have, you know, about the rapture, different beliefs about the tribulation, whether, you know, the church will be in it. But the fact is, you know, no matter what we believe, and, you know, whether or not we believe at all, uh, whether we're raptured, or whether we're in the tribulation or not, Jesus is coming back. You know, that's not dependent on what we believe, or if we don't believe, that don't change the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back, and one day He will return, and uh, one day He will be here, and we'll see Him face to face. Like I said, no matter what we believe or don't believe, it's not going to speed up or slow down His coming one bit. When the Father tells Him to go, He will go. And when he gets here, uh, he will find us just as we are, exactly as we are, how we truly are. You know, however you are right now, if Jesus came back in this moment, then that's how Jesus is going to find you. That's how he's going to find me. That's how he's going to find each of us. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 18, verses 7 and 8, and it's talking about, you know, God's sending him back. And it says, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bears long with them? And verse 8 says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And that's talking about Jesus Christ's return. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, when Jesus does get here, shall he find faith on the earth? You know, will he find any faith on the earth? Uh, so that's kind of what tonight's message is about. You know, how is your faith? I don't know how many of you were here last week, and, you know, we were talking about Looney Tunes and cartoons and Elmer Fudd and his little devil costume. You know, we were using him as an example that we're always being obedient to something, you know, and uh, just because Elmer Fudd puts on that little devil costume, does that make him the devil? No, it don't. And, uh, you know, we're not the devil either, but we're always 
submitting ourselves to something. We're either submitting ourselves to God, we're either submitting ourselves uh, to popular culture and society, or we're submitting ourselves to our sin nature. We're always submitting ourselves to something. So what I want to talk about tonight is how deep is your faith? You know, not how smart you are, not how well you know the Bible, how many scriptures you've got memorized, but how real is your faith? You know, how deep does your faith go? Just like Elmer Fudd can put on his devil costume, uh, that don't make him the devil. You know, we can put on our church costume too, uh, but that don't make us godly. You know, do we just put on our church costume? Do we just look godly? And uh, that's all it is, is just a look. You know, just like I said, Elmer Fudd's not really the devil because he has that little costume on. We aren't godly just because we have our costume on either. It has to go deeper than how we look. It has to be deeper than how we act, and it has to be deeper than what we do because all those things, you know, even if they're not genuine, they look good in the moment. You know, the way we look, that can change. What we do can change. How we act can change. But uh, has your heart truly been opened and surrendered to Jesus, and have you allowed him to enter into it? You know, does Christ truly dwell in your heart? And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Because Christ is coming, without a doubt. There's no doubt about that. He will be coming again. And, uh, you know, that's not just his name is Jesus Christ, but that's not just his name. That is what he is. He is our Christ. He is our Savior. He is our Messiah. And uh, like I said, it don't matter what condition we are in. He is coming. And when he gets here, like I said a minute ago, he's going to find us exactly as we are, whatever condition we're in. And that's what it's talking about in Revelation chapter 22 in verse 11. It says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. <clears throat> and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. When Jesus gets here, we are what we are, and uh, we can't change them. I tell you all the time, when Jesus shows up, it's too late then to repent of these things. It's too late to make the changes that God has been laying on your heart for weeks or months or years. Uh, when he shows up, then we're going to be what we are in that moment. In verses 12 and 13, it says, And behold, I come quickly. That's Jesus. You know, it's not something we can plan for. It's not something that we have a date set, and I'll get it done before then. You know, we don't know when he's coming back, but we know when he does come, he's going to come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. When Jesus shows up, he's in charge. There will be no longer... People of earth in charge here and in charge there. When he shows up, uh, he will be in charge. And our relationship with him is the only thing that's going to matter on that day. And we know he's coming. So are you ready for when he does come? Uh, you know, you need to ask yourself, have you ever truly in your heart surrendered your life to Christ and invited him into your heart and made him Lord of your life? and not just a Savior. We talked about that just a little bit last night and Celebrate Restoration. I think it was Rachel that stepped up and said, you know, he's been my Savior for years, but he's only been my Lord for this amount of time, and that's my testimony too. You know, I prayed the prayer, and my life didn't change at all. I kept living for myself. I never made him Lord of my life until about eight years ago. And, uh, you know, I don't think you can have one without the other. You know, we read verses on being saved every week at the end of the, end of the message. I ask you, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, then we always want to give you an opportunity to do that. And, uh, you know, we hear people all the time saying, I said a prayer when I was a kid and did this and that, but 
if you're living a lifestyle that is contrary to the Word of God, contrary to the things of God, then He's not your Lord. You are still Lord of your life because you're living, doing the things that you want to do, not the things that God's Word says to do. Uh, and if we look at those verses that we use every week in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And we always use Romans 10, 13, 2. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, you know, he can't just be your Savior. He has to be your Lord. You know, nowhere in those verses do we even see the word Savior. He is the Savior of all mankind, but only those that have made Him Lord, truly made Him Lord, in their hearts are going to be saved. Uh, call upon the name of the Lord, not just the Savior. Another thing uh, Pastor DJ said last night is a lot of us, we try to use Jesus as a, as a get-out-of-hell-free card. And that's not what Jesus is for. He came to give us forgiveness of our sins so we could be made righteous, so we could live godly lives and then inherit eternal life. He didn't come just so we could be saved and go back to our business doing things our way. We have to make Him Lord and start doing things His way. Uh, <clears throat> and Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. You know, what kind of fruit is your life producing? You know, if you're claiming Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, but your life has not changed at all, then He's not your Lord. He, he's just a, you just have a belief that He is. If He's Lord of your life, your life will prove that. You, the fruit of your life is telling a story, you know, whether we like it or not. What my life is producing is producing that because of what I believe in my heart. You know, either Jesus is Lord, then I'm going to be producing good fruit in my life. I'm going to be bringing life into other people's lives as well, and not just my own. Uh, I had a rough couple of weeks this week, and uh, I want to share with you these verses out of Matthew, and then I'll tell you why. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, and this is talking about forgiveness. And uh, this is an example out of my own life of whether or not is Jesus Lord of your life. It says, And then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? See, Peter's looking for a way out. He's like, well, I'm going to do it as many times as I'm supposed to, and then I'm done with that guy. And I think that's the way a lot of us look at things. You know, we have people that repeatedly do things to us, and we think, Surely, at some point, God's going to understand because I don't forgive them, and I can be done with them and just go on about my business. But that's not what Jesus says. If we go on, it says, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And he's not talking about 490. He's talking about if he comes to you every day, you just keep forgiving him. And if we keep on reading, it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to, to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, and he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. And I think that's Jesus' way of saying, if we're living with unforgiveness in our lives, it don't just affect us. It affects our children. It affects our husbands or wives. It affects everybody in our life. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. In verse 27, he says, Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. And that's a picture of us in Jesus. There's no way we can pay our debt. You know, my sin list was huge, and uh, there's, there's nothing I could ever repay, and Jesus forgave me. 
And that's what he, he did. He had pity on me, and he released me, and he forgave my debt. And if we keep going, in verse 28 it says, But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, and he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt <coughs> because you pleaded with me. You shouldn't... Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I have had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that, Jesus says, is what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. You know, that's, that's strong stuff right there. You know, Jesus, he paid everything to forgive us, but somehow... We find it hard to forgive other people. And like I said, I had a, a rough couple of weeks this week. You know, things that I thought I had truly forgiven. And I think a lot of you had these things in your life too. I know I have them in mine. But things that I, I thought I had truly forgiven and made right with God. But in these last couple of weeks, they just kept coming back to the surface. Uh, you know, like we started out, seven times seven, how often do I have to do this? But these things just kept popping up, and God has been showing me that I hadn't really dealt with that, that I just covered it up and swept it under the rug, you know? God was telling me, if it's still bothering you, then you have not truly forgiven from the heart. And that really bothered me, you know? I don't want to be that guy. I want my forgiveness to be real. I want it to be genuine. I want my faith to be real <coughs> and genuine. And, uh, you know, I don't want any of you to be that guy either. I want your faith to be real. And that's why I'm preaching this tonight. And uh, like I said, I know that there's many of you that still have things that bother you that I don't want to talk about that. I don't, you know, we don't talk about that. You have to talk about that. Uh, if it's bothering you, there is a reason behind that. It's because it's not been made right with God. And that's what he showed me this week. You know, whether, whether or not others can see it, that don't matter. God can see it. You know, like we just read in Matthew 18 and verse 35 there, you know, if we don't forgive from our heart, we have to forgive from our heart. And, uh, you know, all of my devotions this week, every single one of them have been dealing with forgiveness. And that's not a coincidence. Uh, God gives us what we need when we need it. And God reveals to us what is wrong so that we can bring it to him and make it right. Uh, and that's what he's been doing to me all week long. One of the lines in one of my devotions this week, it really got my attention. I want to share that with you. It says, it's the cross that makes forgiveness Legally and morally right. And when I read that, that really stuck out to me. Uh, and I'll explain that here in a little bit. Pastor Josh talked about Sunday. You know, he said, I've royally messed my life up. And uh, I have too. And I'm, a lot of you can say the same thing. I know for me, I hurt everybody in my life. Until eight years ago, I was just like a, a human wrecking ball. I, I was causing damage in everybody in my life. And uh, God forgave me for all of that. And it was the cross that made that possible. And I'll be the first to tell you that I didn't deserve forgiveness. But because Christ died for me, I received forgiveness that I did not deserve. You know, most of the things that I did in my life, they were not accidents. I did them because I wanted to. I did them willingly. And... Uh, even though I did them willingly, when I came to God and confessed and told Him I needed a Savior, God freely forgave me, not because of anything that I'd done, but because of what Jesus did for me. 
And I thank Jesus for that. So who am I to receive forgiveness for my sins? Uh, just like the guy in Matthew 18 that we just read about, and then not offer forgiveness to somebody else. You know, Christ died for everybody. We share this verse every week, too, in Romans uh, 5 and verse 8. It says, But God commends His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, that's that's everybody. That's we. Not just me. That's us. That's everybody. You know, sin is sin. My sin's not worse than your sin, but somehow we get this mindset of we think your sin is worse than mine. And it's not, you know. And just as sin is equal, so is forgiveness. That line I just shared with you a minute ago, that it's the cross that makes forgiveness legally and morally right, that tells me that unforgiveness is legally and morally wrong. And uh, when I read that, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. You know, when I harbor resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness, I am on purpose being immoral towards God Himself. And uh, I always thought my whole life that immorality was like uh, sexual unfaithfulness in a marriage or perverseness or whatever. But it's not just sexual. That is anything that goes against God's moral code. And unforgiveness goes completely against God's moral code. Our whole faith is based upon what Christ did for us on the cross. If it weren't for forgiveness, none of us would be saved. None of us would be going to heaven. So it is completely anti-God to not forgive anybody. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. When I noticed that in my life, it really scared me, you know, when I saw that stuff in myself. And I was I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, I hope Jesus don't come back right now because I didn't want him to find me <coughs> in the state that I was in right then. And uh, if you're in that state right now, I hope he don't find you in that state. And uh, I'm not saying that you can lose your salvation because you can't. And I don't want you to think that's what I'm saying. But that thought entered in my mind that Jesus is going to come and I'm going to be standing here with this unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart and I know He's going to see it. And, uh, you know, I've told you before that I think depart from me, I never knew you, are the scariest words that anybody could ever hear. You know, if you hear that from Jesus, then it's over. There is no recovering from that. And I never want to hear those words from Him. And I never want you to hear those words either. And like I keep saying, saying Jesus is coming back. And is your heart ready for Him to examine? Because that's what He's going to do. Each and every one of us are going to stand before Christ. Is your heart ready for Him to examine? Uh, I went somewhere last week and I heard a preacher preaching and uh, he was preaching on Psalm 26. And in Psalm 26, verse 1, it says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. You know, I, I couldn't have said that last week. I couldn't have stood there and said, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. You know, to say something like that, you've got to be really super confident that what is in your heart is approved by God. And uh, I'm glad I didn't say that last week. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So I am very thankful I wasn't judged last week. And uh, you're probably thinking, you know, what are you doing up there preaching if you've got all that stuff in your heart? I don't have all that stuff in my heart anymore.
I don't have any of that stuff in my heart anymore. God revealed it to me last week, and I spent the whole week repenting of it, seeking God in it, bringing things to Him, asking Him to help me with them, and making it right. And the reason I'm preaching on it tonight is because I love you all, and I know I'm not the only one dealing with it. You know, I had to, I had to make some <coughs> really hard phone calls and conversations with people and apologize and ask them for forgiveness. And, uh, you know, even though they did things to offend me, I, sh I don't have the right to let them offend me turn around and treat them in a way that God would not want me to treat them. I don't have the right to be a jerk to people. I don't have the right to not forgive them. I don't have the right to be mean to anybody. And, uh, you know, that's what I was doing, and God revealed it to me. So I spent the week making those things right, getting those things out of my heart. And I want to show you something that God's been showing me this week. Uh, how many of y'all know what veneer is? If you're any kind of carpenter, you know what it is. Uh, it's just a really thin layer of something to cover up what's underneath and make it look better. Uh, a better example of that, how many of y'all ever bought any Walmart furniture and had to put it together? You know, it, it looks really good when you first get it because it's got the pretty little thin coating on it. Looks like real wood, and it's not. But if you get any water on it, then you'll figure that out real quick. It swells up and it busts because it's made out of press board. It's not actually wood. And if you put a screw in it and you try to screw it too tight, then it strips out the hole because it's not real wood. It's not genuine. You know, it can't handle the pressure. Uh, the actual definition of veneer is a superficial or deceptively attractive appearance. A facade. All a facade means is it's fake. I don't want my faith to be veneer. I don't want my faith to be superficial or deceptively attractive. I don't want a fake faith. I don't want a veneer faith. Uh, veneer also means to conceal something or to conceal a defect in character. You know, our faith can't be veneer. It can't be superficial like Elmer Fudd and his devil suit. You know, it has to go to the core. It has to be solid. Uh, when God was talking to me this week, he started bringing to my mind about the building of the temple. And I always love studying that. If you've never studied the building of the temple, uh, one good place to find it is in First Kings chapter 6. It, des it describes, you know, in pretty good detail how Solomon built the temple for the Lord. But I want to share a little bit of that with you. And it starts with the stones that the temple was built from. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't, you know, make the stones where the temple was being built. He told other people to make the stones, and they brought those stones in. So you had craftsmen hammering and chiseling and shaping these stones, and uh, it, that just amazes me how they can make something that big, bring it together somewhere else, and uh, and they all fit perfectly together. But in First Kings chapter six and verse seven, it says, "And the house, when it was in building, or the temple, was built of stone, made ready before it was brought there." so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron <coughs> heard in the house while it was building. Like I said, all those stones were crafted somewhere else, and they brought them in, and when they did, they just fit perfectly together. And that, that just blows my mind how they can do that. So when they got the stones where they were going, they didn't need hammers and chisels to shape them because they were already crafted when they got there. And... Uh, you know, how talented would you have to be in those days? They didn't even have the tools we have now to make those huge stones so intricately that they fit together perfectly when they were brought together somewhere else. Uh, you know, that's a picture of us later on. That's what God does with us if we live in uh, obedience to Him. In Ephesians chapter 2, 
in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Uh, if we go on in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, it says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens through Jesus Christ, with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, just like those stones we were just talking about, grows up into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for an habitation of God, through the Spirit. We are the new temple. The Bible says that's what we are. We are the new house of God. And it has to start with a firm foundation. Uh, if you'll go back to verse 20, Travis, it says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The, you know, the apostles and the prophets. What is he talking about right there? He's talking about the Word of God. You know, they are the ones that through inspiration of the Holy Spirit writ, wrote the Word of God. And uh, when we read that, that's what he's talking about. What the apostles wrote down, what the prophets wrote down. That's got to be our foundation, is the Word of God. And Christ is the chief cornerstone. It has to begin... <coughs> with him as Lord, like we've been talking about, and not just Savior. And it goes on in First Kings chapter 6 and talks about, you know, other things in the house. I want to read verses 15 through 18 with you. And it says, And he built the walls of the house with boards of cedar, both the floor of the house and the walls of the ceiling. And he covered them on the inside with wood and covered the floor of the house with planks of fir. And he built 20 cubits on the sides of the house, both the floor and the walls with boards of cedar. He even built them for it within, even for the oracle, even for the most holy place. And the house, that is the temple before it, was 40 cubits long. And the cedar of the house Within was carved with knops and open flowers, and all was cedar, and there was no stone seen. You know, they covered the entire house or the entire temple in wood so that no stone was seen. And uh, they covered it with the best wood available. If you studied any at all about the wood in the Bible, the cedar was really precious, the fir was really precious. You know, they didn't just go to the Lowe's in Jerusalem and buy the cheapest lumber they could find. They got the best cedar and fir that there was to have, and they covered everything. They covered the walls, they covered the ceilings, they covered the floors, and uh, that's the way our faith needs to be. We need to cover our foundation with the best God has to offer. We've got to be in His Word. Like we just read in verse 20 there. We've got to be in prayer. And we've got to be obedient to Him. And uh, we've got to add things to our foundation too. <clears throat> the foundation of our faith. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, that's what he's talking about. He says, and beside this, given all diligence, add to your faith. You know, we can't just come and be saved and have a Savior. When we come to Christ... Peter's telling us we've got to add these things. This is what changes our lives. We've got to add to our faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. That's self-control. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, or brotherly love. And to brotherly love, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all those things that he lists right there are fruits of the Spirit. That's the only place you can get them. We can't get it following my desires, your desires. We have to follow the Holy Spirit, and we'll produce that kind of fruit in our lives. 
It says we will not be unfruitful if we're following the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is actually Lord in my life and my faith not only skin deep. And if we go back to 1 Kings 6, uh, or if you read the rest of it, it goes on to talk about how they didn't just cover everything in wood. You know, they covered the, the walls and the ceilings and the floors. Uh, they covered everything beautiful that they carved into the wood, too. If you read through 1 Kings 6, it talks about all the pretty things that they carved. There's flowers, there's cherubims, there's just all kinds of neat stuff that they carved into the walls. But they didn't just cover the rocks with wood. <coughs> they came back later, and they covered all that stuff with gold. So the rocks were made perfectly and put together. Then the wood was put in there perfectly and carved and made beautiful. And then they covered it up uh, with gold. The Bible says it was covered in fine gold. And why would they build such a perfect foundation that was made so well, so well that it didn't even need a nail, and then cover it up with wood? And why would they make all those beautiful carvings and stuff in the wood and then cover all that up with gold? So you can't even see it. <coughs> and then I finally caught on to what God was trying to show me in that this week. <coughs> I'm a little slow, so he just had to keep showing it to me until I got it. Uh, Solomon wasn't building a house for men to see. <coughs> he was building it for God to see. And it's the same with our faith. It can't be for men to see. It can't be for men to say that's good enough or this is good enough. It's not for men to inspect. It has to be for God. It's for God to say this is good enough. You know, God can see <coughs> your foundation. And He knows if your cornerstone is Christ. You know, just like that wood with all the carvings in it and stuff. You know, God can see all the beautiful carvings inside of you. If you're in His Word, and if you're praying for other people like you should be, if you're forgiving others the way that you should be, and, you know, not only for God, but man too. You know, just like that fine gold, if we're living a life for God and our faith is for God and not just for men, then we'll shine because of that. And... Uh, you know, not only shine for God, but we'll shine for man too. And they can see the glory of God coming from the gold covering your faith, uh, shining your light and bearing fruit. You know, the Bible says we are the light of the world, but it's God's glory that shines. It's not ours. It's His. It's never ours. But God can see your foundation. It matters what's underneath even though other men can't see it, even though other people can't see it, God can see it. He can see your foundation. He knows if it's real. He knows if it's Christ. Or he knows if we are still in control. No matter what, everybody else <coughs> can see. Uh, it says that in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and <coughs> intents of our hearts. In verse 13, it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do, and that is Jesus Christ. So we are naked before God. And uh, like I keep saying, Jesus is coming back. Is your faith made of stone, like we've been talking about tonight? Is your foundation really on Jesus Christ? Or is your faith just veneer? 
You know, is it going to crumble if it gets a little water on it? Or if a little pressure is applied? Our faith has to be rock solid in Christ. Uh, in First Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, We are lively stones and are built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. So if your faith is in Christ, and he really is the Lord of your life, and he is the cornerstone of your faith, then you will not be confounded. You won't fail if your faith is in him. Uh, you know, we read the verses not long ago we read these verses that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. When you get out of line uh, like I did last week, God will let you know. But he won't make you do anything. It's your job to bring these things to him and agree with him. You know, when God convicts your heart, he already knows what's going on. Bring it to him. Confess it to him. Say, yes, you're right. I have been doing that. And I agree with you that it's wrong. What do you want me to do about it? That is the only way to confront sin. You can't fix it yourself. I can't fix it myself. So if we go back to Luke 18 and verse 8, you know, when Jesus does come back, shall he find any faith on the earth? Will he find any faith in you? Will he find any faith in me? You know, one of the studies that I was doing this week, and I did a few of them because I wanted to get this off my chest. I wanted to get it made right. You know, the longer you stay in sin, the harder it is to get out of it. As soon as God reveals it to you, don't dwell on it. Don't think about it. Don't try to justify it. God is right 100% of the time. Take it to him, and he'll help you with it. Uh, but one of the studies that I did this week, uh, this quote was in there. I want to share it with you. <clears throat> and that's what got me started on the veneer thing. It says, the lack of true happiness and peace of mind in most churchgoers is because they only have a veneer of harmony with all kinds of conflicts underneath that have not been resolved. And uh, that is some good stuff right there. It says, I'll read it again. It says, the lack of true happiness and peace of mind in churchgoers is because they only have a veneer of harmony with all kinds of conflicts underneath that have not been resolved. You know, like I said, ignoring things does not work. Sweeping things under the rug does not work. All that works is taking these things to God with a willing heart and uh, being ready to do exactly what he says to do with them. You know, we don't debate with God. If God says, this is what you need to do about that, that's what you need to do about that. You know, I didn't want to make those phone calls I made. That was very hard to do. It's hard for people to admit when they're wrong. It's hard for me to admit when I'm wrong. You know, I'm human just like the rest of you. Uh, probably worse than a lot of you. But true peace only comes when you know without a doubt that you are at a right standing with God. And the true confidence in your faith when Christ does return is only going to come because you know you have a right standing with God. You know, keep your slate clean before God. If he, if he brings something to your attention, he's not getting on you about it. He's saying, hey, you're going the wrong way here. Get back on track. That's all God's saying. And if, like I said, if there's a wedge between you and God, get rid of it. It's Whatever it is, it's not worth it. It don't matter who it is. It don't matter what it is. It will not matter when you stand before Jesus by yourself. That thing you're fighting, that person you're fighting, the institution you're fighting, whatever it is, we've all got something that's not going to be there when you're standing in front of Jesus. It's going to be you and Jesus. There will be nobody there 
to blame. And uh, like I said, it's not easy to stand up here and be vulnerable in front of you and, and preach this stuff. But like I said, I know if I'm struggling with it, then I know some of you are too. And the best way, the only way to deal with it is to take it to God and to confess it to Him. And He, not you, will cleanse you from it. We can't clean ourselves. We can't make it right ourselves. First uh, John 1, 9, that's exactly what it says. This is what we have to do. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And here's the part. We can't forgive ourselves, and we definitely can't clean ourselves up, but God can, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will, He don't just forgive you, He cleanses you from that. So you don't have to walk around feeling guilty about yourself. And I did that all week, but once I gave it to God, did what God said, and made things right with Him, I'm happy today. You know, that, that takes a a weight off of you. And I think so many people are depressed, unhappy, and moping around because they're carrying all that weight. Uh, last night at Celebrate Restoration, DJ showed a video about the skit guys, and that blew my mind that that's <coughs> what he was talking about last night, too, because that's exactly what it is. You know, it's baggage. You got all this stuff that you haven't dealt with. It's fake harmony because underneath that veneer is all the stuff you need to deal with. So, uh, is your faith veneer? Is it just a covering to look good so people won't know what's underneath it? Or is your faith a stone foundation with Christ as the cornerstone? And I tell you all the time, you know, the only people that know the truth about that are you and God himself. So if that convicted you in any way, uh, I mean, it convicted me really bad this week. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but if there's something in your life that needs dealt with, I hope that did convict you. Not to shame you, not to put you down, not to hurt you, but to get you to God, the one that can fix it, the one that can help you get it where it belongs. Uh, but that is my message tonight, and I hope it, I hope it helps somebody. But as always, I, I never want to end a message without giving you a chance to surrender your, your heart and your will and your life to God if you've never done that. And he is not just a Savior. He is our Lord. And uh, if tonight you want to recognize that and say, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need forgiveness and I know I need a Lord, then all you got to do is tell God that. You know, pray to God and say, I need you. I need you to be Lord of my life. And I'm asking you to come into my heart and do that for me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose again the third day as my Savior. But you have to surrender him as Lord for him to be your Savior. But I'll share these verses with you one more time. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 say, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And if today is the day you chose to do that, tell somebody about it. I'll tell you every week, uh, the Bible says, with your mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's good to make that decision in your heart, but let others know. Say, I gave my life to Christ today. And the Bible says, once you've done that in your heart and with your mouth, then you are saved. And uh, like we've been talking about this whole message, you can't clean yourself up. And contrary to what people may have told you, you can't be too bad either. Because Romans ten thirteen says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It don't matter what you've done ever in your life, God will forgive you for it. And that's the whole reason he came, because all of mankind is considered sinners. 
Nobody has a clean slate until they come to Christ. And uh, that's what it says in Romans 5, 8. It says God commended or showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God don't say, get it right, and then come to me. God says, I'm coming to you because you don't have it right. While we were yet sinners, that's why Christ died for us. So if you've never surrendered your life to him, I'd encourage you to do that today. Uh, if you're dealing with things in your life that you know shouldn't be there, and God has revealed them to you, and you're in misery because of it, that'll last as long as you want it to. Because the instant you bring it to God, it can be over with. He'll forgive you on the spot. And all you got to do is repent, turn from it, confess it, and do what God tells you to do. And uh, it's that simple. I didn't say it was easy. It's, it's not easy. But it's very simple. It don't matter what it is. Bring it to God. He won't judge you for it. He'll forgive you for it. And uh, he'll love you through it and give you guidance through it. So uh, let me pray for us. And we will be dismissed. Thank you all for coming out. It's good to see you all. And thank you again if you're tuning in online. Father, thank you for this message that you gave me this week. Father, I just pray for everybody that's here and everybody that's watching online or will watch it online at some point. God, I just pray that, pray that they would truly examine themselves and uh, see if their faith is stone, if it's founded on you, Lord Jesus, or if it is a veneer, God, and they're just trying to go through the motions so men and people will think that they're living a godly life. And if that's what they're doing, I know how miserable they are because I've done it myself. And I know the freedom that only comes from truly surrendering to you. And Lord, I just pray for them. If uh, there's anybody here that's going through that, I pray that they would find the courage, God, to do what your word says and just confess it to you and get that load off their chest and experience the freedom that comes from knowing that they are in a right standing with you. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us first. And, uh, God, I just pray again for all those that are at home sick. I just pray that you would bless them, comfort them, and help them to heal, Lord. I pray for everybody that's going through treatments and different things right now, that you would just continually be with them. Help them to feel your presence, Lord, and let them know that they're not alone. And, Father, I just pray that you help us all get home safely. We thank you again for tonight's message, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.